This is director Nick Fury from S.H.I.E.L.D. Coming to you live from the Sci-Fi FX Podcast. Who the hell are these guys? Hello and welcome to the Sci-Fi FX Podcast. This is episode number 107. I'll be your host today, Carl, and I have with me Big Dog. Yellow. And Troy. Blue. (laughs) And today we will be discussing our book club book we picked out last month for Neuromancer by William Gibson. This is like the start of all the cyberpunk stuff. Almost. A couple short stories before that, but this is still the guy that did it. This was the big kickoff. (laughs) Everything else was prelude. Yep. So what did you guys think of the book? It Um, holds up. Yeah. That's for sure. I I read this years ago, and I was so young when I read it the first time, I didn't understand half of it. But now it's like all all the technology that that we have in this, it's all commonplace from watching movies and reading other books and... Yeah, you used to see life that, that <laughs> you know, now it's like, oh, that's just normal. And yet it's really not. Yeah. The concepts are normal now. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you had a lot of movies back in the late 80s, early 90s that kind of set this into people's minds, namely Johnny Mnemonic, which right. is based off of one of the short stories that is a precursor to that was Neuromancer. That was 96 when that came out? Yeah. But you also had like Lawnmower Man right. and... Tron, even. Yeah. When you really get down to it. And then 99, you had The Matrix. Yeah. Which I think everything in that book, or any, everything in that movie was stolen from this book. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, they didn't even try to hide it. And then, you know, you had role playing games like Cyberpunk and Shadowrun and, yeah. you know, several others, I'm sure. Which, that, you know, Shadowrun, it's like, just like D&D modeled, it, uh, modeled after Tolkien, Shadowrun. Got everything from this book, and then they added dragons. And yeah, and then they added magic in on top of it. And I mean, it, you you read this book, and if you've ever played Shadowrun, I mean, yeah, it's almost most of it's the same exact terminology. Yeah, like street <laughs> I mean, samurais. Yeah, they didn't hide it at all. They're like, okay, we're taking this book and we're making a role playing game out of it. Which that alone speaks to the influence of it. Well, exactly. They just threw dragons and magic on top of it and made it even more interesting, they in my opinion. With, but <laughs> yeah, they had to compete with D anD. d Well, yeah. So, Big Dog? <laughs> I listened to this, and the uh, first thing I did after I finished it up was like, I'm going to have to listen to this again to make sure I got all of it. <laughs> I mean, it... It is fairly dense, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great story, but there is so much I feel like I missed somewhere. Well, there, there's a lot of techno jargon in it thrown at you very quickly. Well, <laughs> you see, the techno jargon is not really what gets me. It's just, you know, between back and forth, they're running all around. Yeah. You know, Case is an interesting guy. I, I have to give him credit for that. Molly was okay. I don't know if I necessarily <laughs> liked her nearly as much as I should have. I mean, she's definitely got some interesting points, but I want to know more about her. Yeah. Yeah, I think that... I liked Molly. <laughs> you see, the most interesting point to that for me is when Case is in her head. Yeah, when he's when he's flipping through the yeah. stem switch thing. Yeah, I liked that. The stem switch was my favorite. Yeah. And and it's like the fact that she's talking to him because she knows he's in there. Well, yeah, and I love the way the simplicity with which Gibson does it in the book. And mm-hmm. it's just and he switched. Yeah, well, and he flipped. Yeah, that that's the yeah. only indication you get that he's moving from the VR of the Matrix into Molly's head is just he flipped. 
And he's <laughs> completely beautiful simplicity. And he's completely responsive to what she's feeling. Yeah. And she's playing with him. I mean, there's times <laughs> where she's actually playing with her sensuality in the middle of this, which is the part of her that I actually liked, is the fact she's willing to, you know, for lack of a better term, dick with him while she's in the, <laughs> while he's in her head. That's what made her one of the most popular characters of the genre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which is why I'm really wondering why when they made Johnny Demonic into a movie, why they left her out. Yeah. I think it's, I'm not really sure because, again, I'm going to say this, I've never seen Johnny Demonic. We can fix that. Yeah, we yeah. can. We can. We need to fix that because it's a fun movie. Well, I mean, in the in the long run, I I don't know what it was. I think it was Keanu Reeves that turned me <laughs> off on it. But... I've got it in the cabinet. I'll loan it to you. But I mean, yeah, we can do a commentary. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not completely against against the stuff he does, but I'm not for a lot of it either. So, well, with with Keanu, it's pretty much. I don't watch a movie because he's in it. I watch the movie because the movie looks interesting. The fact that he's in it is neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned. Usually the fact that he's in it says the movie itself is going to be cool. Whether or not you <laughs> like him is irrelevant. He picks good movies. Yeah, well, I've never, <laughs> not necessarily I was never good big on them. Speed either, and everybody loved that movie. Well, yeah. but, it's not a genre movie. That's not the kind of stuff he likes. To and it was years, uh, years <laughs> after the fact that I actually watched The Matrix because of one guy at college that drove me crazy about it. Yeah. Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? No, and I'm never going to. Shut up. And then when I finally <laughs> saw it, it's like the first one actually wasn't that bad. And yeah, and the second one I didn't mind nearly as much as a lot of other people did. And the third one was like, okay, you're done. Great. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if, and you bring that up, um, you know, you mentioned that John, that um, The Matrix pretty much is ripped right out of this book. It really is, the entire I mean, concept. Is. I mean, they even mentioned Zion yeah. in, in The Matrix is that city they go to where, you know, everybody's Rastafarian and all that. Oh, yeah. And, and that's specifically ripped out of this book. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, my God, this is so original. No, no it's not. It was done 15 years before. And better. Yeah. (laughs) Which which is my biggest argument against most pop culture these days. Mm -hmm. I I hate to say that, but everybody's like, have you seen this movie? No, I have these things called books. (laughs) It's HBO programming 10 to 15 years in advance. Yeah. And the, um, I love the level of detail he goes into when he's explaining the tech, especially like when they're on the space station. Yeah. Explaining the, the way the lights are set up to make it look like there's a horizon. (laughs) <laughs> that's the one thing about Gibson. His his detail is just enough to where you get an accurate picture, but mm-hmm. it's the way you want to think about it. Yeah. It's not extremely explicit. And you're not forced to, into some kind of jumbled it, mess that you don't get. Yeah, but it gives you a very good... It gives you enough foundation that you can build that mental image in your head. Exactly. And then work from it. <laughs> and, and it's just... I don't know about you guys, but... When you read this book, you feel like the world is dirty. Yeah, it was yeah. very dirty. Oh, yeah. You yeah. could actually smell rust on stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And other things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, being Star Wars Day, you know, it's one of those things, you know, George set out to build a used universe. And that was like the first time anybody had done that because most science fiction was all pristine and white and clean. Yeah. You could see the Star Wars influence on this. This was a dirty, post-apocalyptic universe. 
except Doctor Who had a dirty rundown university. Well, yeah, grand. <laughs> Doctor Who changed that every other week too. Oh well, yeah. You see, in my case, what I thought about was this was more like Alien at that point. Yeah, it oh, had yeah, that Alien, very yeah. gritty. Well, John yeah. Carpenter's movies Rusty had a big, a big influence on on Gibson. That doesn't surprise uh, me at all. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just when you uh, when you s- listen to this, I mean, you feel the just the dirtiness of it all, the grime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sitting in that bar, you know that there's like six inches of dust on every table. <laughs> yeah, and the Russian guy, the arm that he has, <laughs> yeah. is made up of some of the crappiest crap that ever was crap. In order to make the bionics, and it was like, but I still want to get my drink from him because he's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they even mentioned that you know, and that in this day and age, it was relatively inexpensive to get decent cybernetic replacements and to have surgery to look pretty and attractive. Yeah. And this just this guy just didn't want to do it. Well, I mean, it, it's amazing just how much of this that he kind of predicted well before it happened. Oh yeah. But, I mean, literally my first impression after I got done listening to this book was that somewhere it was like Skynet and the Matrix <laughs> found each other and made V'ger, like part one. Mm-hmm. And it was going to go combine with other things. <laughs> that was exactly my thought. I, I had V'ger in the back of my head the entire time. Yeah. Like I mean, it was... Wintermute thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Wintermute, the way it was dealing with things is like... You know, it's got more intelligence than Skynet does, but it's still using everybody's pawns. Skynet's yeah, still learning. It's a yeah. baby. Well, because Wintermute couldn't affect the real world without manipulating some person to do it for him. And he did a great job. Oh, he did an amazing job. And then you've got Neuromancer in the background, like, you know, well, look, I can give you everything you want. I'm just trying to stop you from doing this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so you're wanting to live, basically, and you don't <laughs> want this guy as a part of you. Why? You know? <laughs> I mean, the, that's the one thing about it. I mean, as the explanations come forth, there's almost a futility to the story. Yeah. You almost feel like being human, you're a second-class reject. You're, you're pawns of these AIs. Even though they have no real interaction with the physical world, they're still the ones running it all. <laughs> I mean, you, you talk about dystopian futures. This is where it begins. Yeah, this really has this, you know, overall... I don't know what to do feeling, because at the end of this book, you don't really have any feeling that they accomplished much of anything. Yeah. The AI has accomplished a great deal, and Mm -hmm. it's starting to be aware of other AIs like it. And I'm like, there's others? Oh, yeah. And this is where you're ending this? What the hell? You know. That's where sequels come in. Yes, I know. (laughs) There are two of those. Yep. But, I mean, just looking at the way they had tried to deal with, you know, Trying uh, destroying thing, I'm like, why don't you try to wreck the AI? Anybody else in this position would have tried to wreck the AI, not them. They knew better. <laughs> they wanted to. They're going to work for it because they wanted these cures. It's like you're dead anyway. You welcome our robot overlords. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. They were welcoming them with open arms. Mm-hmm. And yeah. here we are today, looking at this, going like, man, when is this going to happen to us? <laughs> well. um Let's see. Microsoft? <laughs> I was thinking Apple. Yeah. Either way. It, it would work the same way, except it would be cleaner. <laughs> and the good news it is... It would be white. <laughs> and, you know, it may not blue screen nearly as much. But you'd have to allocate memory to the war machine. Yeah. yeah. You get the um, you get the spinny pinwheel of death <laughs> thing if it's Apple. But... Lion <laughs> is run by Linux. <laughs> now that, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> 
Yeah. Red hat defenses. <laughs> <laughs> I want the penguin. Yeah, and um, so the the others in the series are Count Zero and Mona Lisa Overdrive. They Count Zero. And I definitely want to read these now or yeah. listen to them in, in my case. But now that said, we usually talk about the because we we listen to the books normally, and um, we usually talk about how the narration was done, how well that was performed on the audible book. It worked for me in this I, one. I thought he did a good job, and um, let me pull it up here. It was, um, what was the guy's name? It was uh, Robertson Dean is the one that narrated the version that we got off Audible. And, uh, yeah, I thought he did a really good job. I would agree. Mm-hmm. He tried to do some different voices and accents for the different characters. I appreciated the attempt there. I mean, they weren't necessarily really good uh-huh. accents and stuff, but he, he made the attempt. They weren't horrible. It's far better than what was in an Ender's game. Yeah, oh yeah, and he he read it at a decent pace. It served the story without being distracting. Yeah, yeah. you could tell who was talking, as opposed to just guessing. Exactly. <laughs> and like I said, he read it at a decent pace, which the last couple we've listened to were just yeah. atrociously slow. Thank <laughs> God for the speed app. Yeah. Yeah. This one I didn't really have to do. I I, I listened to it at like one point one x or something like that. I just, think I, I think mine was one point two. A hair faster than normal speed, but not enough to really notice anything. And I I appreciate that when <laughs> when the book is done well enough that I don't have to listen to it at two x just to get through it in time. Yeah, because when it, when it's that slow, it always feels like I'm being talked down to. I always yeah. just get distracted and drift off into other thoughts. Exactly. Like, but too how, much time to think between what he's saying and what's going on. I can think about all kinds of other stuff that's exactly. going on. <laughs> but, but it's almost like the narrator. And this is how the story goes. <laughs> yeah. Allow me to explain <laughs> it to you. Well, especially when you're listening to a literary classic, you know, yeah. it, it's like, oh, good lord, I know the guy's name's Kansai. Please don't stretch out that word any further than it has to be. Yeah, early audiobooks are notorious for that sort of thing. Yeah, this yeah. was a, a, a good production. Yeah, it was. It, it really was a far superior one than to the ones we have been listening to up to this point. Yeah, so I didn't. Well, I, I, I didn't want our listeners to think that ever since we listened to Dresden Files, everything else is, <laughs> that we just rag on the readers every time. So. No, 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 no. I, like I said, with, with Dresden, the the man had a good performance. The problem was you could tell it was a cold read. Yeah, he gets better. Like you said, <laughs> no. I have no choice but to believe that. If nothing yeah. else, I mean, just the sheer number of books that he's done. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but everyone after that, it's just been like, it's been these atrocious reads. This one was actually good. The only, I mean, as far as it goes, at least the speed up app helps for those who are reading too slow. The only thing, like I said, Enders is still going for my worst on that front because those people, it wasn't even the fact that they were slow doing it. They just sucked at it. I've heard worse. You ever want to have some fun, try out the LibriVox stuff. They they get... Uh, just fans oh, like yeah, you and me to read anybody. them for free. Yeah. No, and it's you. it's people that they love the book, but it's the kind of people you wouldn't want to listen to on your best day, <laughs> ever. Yeah. 
And yeah, there's a lot of those out there on that yeah. LibriVox. You know, I, I appreciate the enthusiasm <laughs> they want to put in it, but mm-hmm. no. <laughs> wanting to put enthusiasm and putting enthusiasm in it, that's two separate things altogether. Now, if, if you're going to have an, an audiobook created, get someone who can actually do the reading and do a performance for it. Oh, it's an art form now. Yeah, it, it really is. So, who else is going to read the other two books? I will eventually. I think we should. I'm, so I'm, I'm going to get it. I'm going to. definitely going to. Like I said, I'm going to have to listen to Neuromancer one more time <laughs> before I start the other one just to make sure I got what's going on because, like I said, the, it, talking about it, I'm remembering a lot of stuff, but there's a lot more of it that I really want to make sure I remember as clearly. Yeah. Because, I mean... I. I'm not a cyberpunk guy. I never played Shadowrun. <laughs> I've done some cyberpunk stuff, and I mean, this is very minimal in some other games and stuff I've played, but it was so minimal that I I can't even really call it cyberpunk in, in conjunction. This is so heavy, and it, it's, you know, being like the big birth of it. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. the sad part is it's so good that when you read most other attempts in the genre, if it's not your genre, you're not going to care. Yeah. There was, there's a couple things that I'm just remembering going back and thinking about the book. There was the, um, I like the fact that the, the, um, the basically glass shards that they would shove into the memory sockets in their heads, the skill set things. Yeah. He called those Microsofts. I just, <laughs> I got a kick out of that. Because they were around at the time when he wrote the book. Apparently, <laughs> but yeah. Uh-huh. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that deck that was stolen of his, that his girlfriend stole to get the money to get out of town, mm-hmm. he mentioned that, I think he, I believe he mentioned that it had three megabytes of RAM in it that he was planning to sell. Yeah, something like that. And I just, I got a real kick out of that. Well, that's huge well, in, yeah. in 1984. In 84, uh, that was enormous. Three I mean, megabytes of well, RAM was to, ridiculous. To put this in perspective for you, <laughs> and I realize this is going to be something that's going to get laughed at, <laughs> but Short Circuit 2 goes through Johnny, uh-huh. Johnny's specs, and he has 64 megabytes online is what he phrased. Uh-huh. And you think about what it takes to run some of these things today, <laughs> and it's like 64 megs, damn, they had some compression back then. <laughs> and I wonder how many punch cards it took to program it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I got a real kick out of that. I'm like, what, did he say three megabytes of RAM? <laughs> yeah, did, did we back up everything on data tape? <laughs> <laughs> well, he mentions cassette tapes. Yeah, as well in this, you know. So yeah, some of the tech is definitely dated. I mean, he, <laughs> yeah. he tried, but oh, yeah, I mean, you got to only... keep in mind this was what two years before CDs. Yeah, I mean, there, there's only so far you can imagine ahead, you know, to come up with completely new technology. And he came up with all this matrix stuff and virtual realities, and and yeah. and I'm sure other people had mentioned that before, maybe, but and he just built on it. But yeah. you know, he built a Pretty believable world, but yeah, I mean, there were certain things he just flat out missed on, like yeah. cell phones. And yeah, <laughs> but which that's one of the things he comments on in the, the introduction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this was the 20th anniversary edition we were listening to, so it had that little preamble before and afterwards, where he's you know talking about how you know 20 years ago I didn't know about yeah, all that this was stuff. 2004. So yeah. at that point, the smartphone wasn't really available. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, listening to it now, another nine years later, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my God, you could run Wintermute on, on your iPhone. iPhone. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, something like that running around in our today's technology would be freaking frightening. But yeah, you're uh, you're talking about that. I mean, yeah, sure, he missed some stuff, but I'm not looking at what he missed. I'm looking well, at what no. he got right. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's I mean, amazing terms, how much stuff he got right. Yeah, in terms of ratio of what he got right to what he got wrong, he's got a better or, track record than Nostradamus. Or how much mm-hmm. stuff we're just on the cusp of doing. Yeah. because of this book. Well, yeah, this is this is the same thing that goes on with stuff like Star Trek and Star Wars. People see oh, yeah. it, they want it. Yeah, they want to see what it's like, and you know, this <laughs> whether they should have it or not. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's really part of it. I mean, when you're talking about this, you know, without reading this book, when I think of plugging into you know the internet, basically, there's two things that pop in my mind. One is obviously the Matrix. Yeah. The other one is that stupid Cyberman thing that they did in Doctor Who. Where everybody's wearing those stu- stupid ear oh, the, the pieces. Yeah. And I'm telling you right now, that's the reason I never wear Bluetooth, because I'm afraid of that <laughs> thing happening. I had dreams about that. But this, I mean, it's like, well, you know, this would be interesting to actually do this in such conditions. I mean, you know, some of it didn't look, what he was doing didn't look safe, but I'm sure there's other practical applications of that that wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, if you look at it from, like, Seamus Harper on Andromeda, whenever he jacks in, Hmm. That looks almost harmless, but when you go back and watch like Johnny Mnemonic, oh yeah, it's like the spike thing. That yeah, it's it. scary. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if, when, you, when you take a look at the stuff that's doing like, uh, you know, again, like the Matrix, where they're unplugging the thing in the back of their right. skull, and the thing was like, ah, no, thank <laughs> you. I don't want the thing in my skull that looks frightening. You know, and they seem to think that's better than the alternative. I mean, here's a here's an interesting one. What if, you know, take RoboCop, for example. What if, you know, they mm-hmm. want some information there? Data spike in the back of the head. Oh, we're uploading. Good. Thank you. Theoretically, it could work. <laughs> yeah, and that's a real frightening thought. Mm-hmm. But it's there. And the scary part is, if that kind of tech goes unregulated, we're probably within five or ten years of having a full capability of that. It doesn't really surprise me. I mean, with some of the stuff we've done on this podcast already, like with the 3D printers and everything else, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't imagine some of the other advancements we're going to make where you're going to completely be great fun for the first few minutes and completely screw the world in the next. Yeah. I mean, I almost said that, you know, we might be able to go into a Best Buy and buy that tech, and then I thought about it. Best Buy's not going to be around in 10 years. No. <laughs> Well, you know, the, here's, a, maybe, but. Yeah. Well, here's, a, here's what's really funny to me, because, you know, when you're thinking about this, my thought is, you know, if you don't have a good virus blocker, what's that going to be like in your head? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, and if you can, if you could overwrite your personality, would you? How many people are going to get it overwritten and not even yeah, be yeah. able to stop it? You ever seen no, the Manchurian Candidate? Yeah. Welcome yeah. to the cyber version. Well, I mean, I keep thinking about it. It's like, you know, because, you know, somebody won this, and I didn't realize you're going to laugh, say this is a bad this is a bad thing, I shouldn't go here, but, you know, a lot of people, one of the most popular things on the internet are like porn sites. Mm-hmm. People are going to go to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's where the tech goes first. Yeah, and it's because everybody's going to start thinking in those terms. It's like, okay, well, if you're plugged in for like this, it's almost real in your head. Yeah. What's that going to do when you're starting to get all the crap from those sites mm-hmm. running through your mind? It would be like um, that Stallone movie um, with Wesley Snipes. I can't remember. Demolition Man. Yeah, where they, have, they put the little head things on to have sex because touching each other is filthy. 
and that may very well be, but you know, you've got this on. You can't function in society like that anymore. You're not going to be able to hold down a job, much less anything else. These days, you can barely function in society anyway. Yeah, this is going to make it worse. Society is online. You don't actually contact people anymore. So here's something interesting that I was just looking up because it, it dawned on me. Do you remember the Doctor Who episode, The Deadly Assassin? Yes. Where they have the Matrix, and he goes into the virtual reality of the Matrix, and they have all the constructs, and he fights the guy in there and Which all that. Which Doctor was this? Fourth Doctor? Yeah. 1976. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them run together. Yeah. 1976. Yeah. Virtual reality. Deadly Assassin. Matrix. <laughs> yeah, you go okay, that's ringing a bell now. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, the Master and all yeah. that. Eight years before this book. Well, the technology was already there yeah. in theory. I mean, it's, Gibson it's always says that he me. just extrapolates well, what yeah. was there. He, he built on yeah. what was already there. So the, I mean, if he, the concept was there. He just realized it better than anyone else had. Well, if you take a look at <laughs> what was going on in the, in the world at that point in time, I mean, let's see, you had Star Trek, the movie that was already out. Mm-hmm. You've got all the Doctor Who stuff, like you said, and he could have watched any of that. I'm, yeah, I got to check something now because <laughs> I got a feeling Harlan Ellison beat Doctor Who to the punch. Quite possibly. I mean, there's there's so much different stuff that you could you could extrapolate from that yeah. and you just put it together in a very cohesive. Well, way. That's, that's what I'm saying is it it was there, but he made it better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he put the, it together in this nice, dirty package called Cyberpunk. Yeah, and that's <laughs> it. I mean, it, it's a yeah. It's a, I have no mouth and I must scream. 1967. That's the basis for Terminator. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Gibson just did it better than everyone else. (laughs) Hello, Harlan. I'm sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Uh, I'm trying to get my train of thought back now. (laughs) You were saying words. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And then Troy put a penny on the rail. Right. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry, I got excited. The, uh, talking about the, you know, putting it into a nice, concise, dirty mm-hmm. package. Yeah. yeah, it's like, but when you look at it, it's like, you know, I don't know, making it better story-wise, yeah, I think you made a great call on this stuff. Okay. There is so much stuff now that cribs this. Oh, yeah. For, and I mean, we're not just talking cyberpunk, we're just talking, you know, story elements, like, you know. Oh, yeah, the, dark the, and gritty and, and hopeless of course and, it sells. <laughs> and everybody and everybody now is just taking this and running it to a ninth degree. And it's like, man, you see where stuff like this starts. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this isn't even, this isn't even Twilight Zone freaky. This is just, you've blown us all up. Thank you. <laughs> and this is the kind of thing that enlightens the society we live in. <laughs> You see, the the sad part is that when I look at this and realize people would have, uh, people could read this today, I don't think they'd be enlightened by it. Well, I it used think to be they try to run towards it. Well, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. See, it used to be you read this kind of thing and go, ah, and not do that. We need to keep this from happening. <laughs> now they go, that's cool. Yeah. And they embrace it with open arms, and only after they get screwed do they realize that they screwed <laughs> up. So then they run to the next big thing. That's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe I'm just a cynic. Well, there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are very cynical, but you, know, you have a good point. 
All right. So, anything else we want to discuss about the book? Any other characters or? The only one really worth talking about, in my in my opinion, was Molly. I mean, she's the only character that really stands out. The rest of them kind of blur together. Well, it's all about the tech. There's Molly and Case, and Wintermute was an interesting character, I thought. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. The way I mean, he, he couldn't interface directly with them, he had to choose images out of their mind. Right. In yeah. order to, to put these masks on to right. communicate it, with them. It was all concept, though. Yeah. You know, it's like watching Matrix 1. It's There's no real substance there, it's just ideas. Yeah. I'm curious to see how much that's going to be built upon in books 2 and 3 to actually flesh it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like the consciousness of Dixie. I thought he was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was kind of fun. Especially but, the way he described his laugh. Yeah, it's <laughs> unnatural. I nerved him every time he did it. But, you know, Case himself... Generic loser. Well, he basically, <laughs> to me, he almost came out somewhere as a cross between your stupid hacker these days and a Punisher that gave up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, he drugged himself, liquored himself up, and they gave him brand new everything and said, here's poison sacks. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> Which, you know, in 1984, I'm sure that was amazing. But like you said, it's been copied so many times. It's like watching The Godfather. If you're like me, you like mobster movies, The Godfather set into motion every cliche in the book. And unless you're sitting there watching it and acknowledging that that's where the cliches come from, you go, oh my God, I've seen all this a hundred times. Yeah, I don't necessarily mind seeing something where it came from and going, okay, well, I can see why this one's better because it was first. Yeah, it's, and it's always better if you know it's first. But well, yeah. Uh, but, when I, but still, I mean, Case, I don't say he was as interesting to me as he could be. I think it was more or less I'm glad that he got to see just he got to be something other than just the sad drunk on the corner at the yeah. beginning of the book. Well, yeah, I he, mean, and he was in that state because his previous employers had hosed his nervous system over so he couldn't jack back in ever again. Well, yeah, but look what he did first. He's yeah. the one that embezzled from them. Oh, the yeah. Around. Well, he was a criminal, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, he They knew he was a criminal when they hired him. Yeah, they, they hired <laughs> him to do this thing. He stole, they stole the money. It's like, you can keep all the money, but here, just... <laughs> You're done. The, the the whole thing that they did with him, I mean, it's like, it's interesting because now he gets to do stuff, but then somewhere in the middle of the book, he just, he gets to the point where he's like, I can't handle this anymore. Yeah, and, and he finds fun. a strong enough drug to get through his new liver and kidneys. Yeah, and, the, and that little, you know, uh, stunt they pulled on him yeah. where it, you know, nullifies the effects. <laughs> Yeah, uh, another character I kind of liked was Malcolm. I thought he was interesting enough. I don't know yeah. that he'd be a great character to uh, do a main story on, but no, he was clearly a secondary character. But yeah, I mean, he was interesting enough to be a secondary character. Uh, yeah, but in most of the cases, though, they just had character templates. They didn't really have fully fleshed out characters. Yeah, that's true. Um, Which you know, there's nothing wrong with that since you're talking about. Something that's designed to give you the world itself. Yeah. The characters mm-hmm. really are secondary. They're designed to move you through the experience. The only time I ever got annoyed with any of the characters was Neuromancer himself. Because they didn't do enough with him. Yes. He was there... Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even, even at this point in time, there's no way they could do more with him. Because it's no longer Neuromancer, it's no longer Wintermute. True. Mm-hmm. Neuromancer was there that long. It's like, oh, okay. there he is. <laughs> What are you doing? Well, I'm trying to make sure that your consciousness is uh, 
satisfied. And yet it could be argued he was really there the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the and, entire book is under the mushroom cloud, if you will. Oh, yeah, he was in the background the whole time. He just never knew he was there until the end of the book. And that's all fine and well, but I'd still like to have known more about him. I, I would have loved yeah. to have seen the character a little bit more. I realize that in this particular case, the way the story was built, that would completely ruin how this would have played out. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I can understand the, the what you're getting at, because, I mean, the book is named after him. Yeah. <laughs> and then he shows up in, like, the last 30 minutes of the book. Right, but the more times you go through it, and the more aware you are of that fact while you're reading it, well, yeah. it does change the nature of the story. Well, naturally. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, even going back into it, under there, I can see where all the influences were. But there was still just enough where I'd still like to see what else this character's possibly done before this. I want to know. Sure. Huh. I want to know more about Neuromancer than just you know. Okay, well, I didn't want to be a part of this thing. Maybe um, maybe there's short stories out there. Maybe, but you know, I I don't know. I, I'm only aware of what's been presented up to this point and the sequels therein. Yeah, I mean, I don't but, pretend to be an expert on Gibson, but I know he did some short stories. Well, we discussed a couple. Well, according to the wiki page, this was preceded by Burning Chrome. So, and without having read that, I can't comment. Uh, I mean, the the truth of the matter is that this is a book that when I've gone to bookstores, I've seen it on shelves. I looked at the name like cool name, and I walked the other direction because I don't know why. It's just nothing that I, that just that reached out to me and said, "Okay, pick it up, see what it's about." Yeah. Yeah, but then in a sea of books that they have in some of these places, it just ends up like that for me. Having read it now, knowing what it is, it's like, yeah, I'm kind of, I kind of feel bad about never having picked it up because I know that it had such potential with it. And there's certain books in every genre that are like that. Yeah, I mean, Gibson, <clears throat> cyberpunk is Gibson's playground. Everybody else just lives in it. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I remember as a kid going to the bookstore, and I, I would always see Neuromancer and Ender's Game on the shelf there. Oh, yeah, it was right next to Dune. When, yeah, when I was looking for Doctor Who books. And I just, I never picked them up. Oh, I mean... Now I'll listen to both of them. Yeah, you know, and they're great. And that's just it. I mean, now, I mean, with all three that was mentioned there, I've, I've read Dune now. I've read, or I've listened to Ender's Game. I've listened to Neuromancer and a lot of this stuff. If it weren't for reading Game of Thrones the way I did, I don't think I'd ever been prepared to read the others. <laughs> yeah, there was something mentally that was mentally blocking me from reading such such heavy-handed stuff. Yeah, and it and it unblocked the minute I found something that I found interesting enough to to bring me into that fold. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if you're used to reading little standalone novels and that's what you know, the idea of of committing to a series is scary beyond all reckoning. But then once you get involved in that, you can't imagine going back very easily either. <laughs> yeah. well, you see, the thing of it is, I've never had a problem with reading certain books. It's just after a while, it's like, you know, the writer is taking me back and forth to so many different places. And, and it's never been one of those where it's like, okay, I love the fact that we've gone back here. It's, you went back here again, <laughs> you know. I mean, I love The Mists of Avalon. I've always loved The Mists of Avalon. I cannot go back and forth with a lot of what was in the book. I love the book. I want to listen to it again. But the pro biggest problem I had with it was there was a couple times where it was like, we're back at court again. We're over here. We're back at court again. Yeah, you got to read all the sequels. <laughs> hmm. 
Whereas with whereas with uh, you know Game of Thrones, everything moves. With this one, it moved. It did not stay in the same location very long, and there was obviously a point to what they were doing. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I mean they even they travel quite a bit in this book. Well, this one there's also yeah, a countdown clock. Location. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know he's gonna. Those poison sacks are gonna burst at some point, so they got to get to the point at the end point at some designated time before that. <laughs> so, and then you get you know. to the end. Oh, fooled you. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I can create the enzyme at any given point in your head. Yeah. Oh, well, that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. You don't know a lot of what ended up with some of these characters. I mean, you know, you wanted Molly to stick around, did she? No, she took off. Yeah. You know, Case is back at that same bar. It's like, dude, you've got a better life ahead of you now. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, I've decided I'm going to stick it out here. Well, see, that's a, an interesting statement on humanity itself. We have that much potential, but. We we pre-program ourselves to stick to the rut because mm-hmm. it's comfortable. Listening to what he was going through in there, I don't know if that was comfort as much as it was I gave up and I don't know what to do. Well, exactly, it was uh, the known factor. Better the devil uh, you know. I mean, there. Look outside your window. Most everybody around you at any given point, whether you know them or not, most humans are like that nowadays. We're pre-programmed. It's like we know we want better, but we're afraid to reach out and take it because what we know is in our comfort zone. Well, you see, even even at that, there are some people that I've come across in life that are more, more like this, where it wasn't that he knew that there was better. Well, in Case's case, I guess he didn't know that there was better out there, and he just didn't take it. There's a lot of people these days that don't. They don't even know, they don't even look at them better. They don't see it. They just want to be where they want to be because, well. This is the happy squalor. No one expects anything of him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm you know I'm afraid to think about a character like this because I mean he obviously enjoyed jacking into the Matrix and doing what he does. Oh, yeah, yeah. thrill of the chase. But now it's just like okay, well now that I've done this, I mean you know at the end of this, there's nothing he can do in the Matrix that's going to compare to what he did here. That's true. Where do you go from here? Unless he tries to go hunting AIs. <laughs> the, big, the only AI that's going to matter at this point is the one that he just, you know, let be it created. Well, Anything else at this point? Because Neuromancer and Wintermeat were obviously meant to combine into something. Because somebody looked at the rule on that and said, the hell no, we want to see something bigger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting to, to read the others or listen to the other two and mm-hmm. see where it goes. But I'm definitely interested in... in what happens, because I would assume that some of the other characters, like Molly, probably shows back up in one of the other books, I would think. I'm assuming... Maybe, that, maybe not, you know. I'm assuming that that's the character we're actually going to be following, is Molly. I don't think it's going to I be... I would hope so. She's much well, even if we don't follow her, she's got to show up, because, I mean, she's Gibson's most popular character. No, well, I think that's <laughs> I think that's part of it. I think that whatever was done with Chase is over. There's nothing going to be anything more there. And it's all going to be on her because everybody knew she was the character to gravitate to. Yeah. But with Chase, it's one of those, it's the reluctant guy. Yeah. That gets dragged along by his earlobes. (laughs) And still manages to do what everybody else does in that world and, you know, skirt the rules and still do what he wants to. Right. It's, you know... That's part of the dystopian thing, you know. Yeah. I'm here, I'll do this if (laughs) I have to, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 
that's part of why I hate dystopian fiction as a general rule. You know, when you get a book that's really well done, like Neuromancer, sure, I'll sit through it. It saves me the, you know, from having to read the other 600 that followed it. <laughs> and it's worth the time to do it. That way I can at least say, hey, I enjoyed this. Well, I mean, you can definitely tell stuff like Terminator was, uh, what ended up much happier because at least the humans wanted to fight for something. Well, yeah, there, there is a sense of hope there. That yeah. kind of thing, I don't mind. But when the characters just give up, man, I'm done. Well, I mean, this is, this, when you think about it, this truly is the anti-Terminator. Yeah. Because humans are not only, I mean, is one of the humans created the AI, this one really went out of his way to make sure that everything got bind up right. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Terminator is like, okay, we made it, now we gotta, we're going to have to destroy it. There's no other way about it. We're going to fight for humans. It kind of makes you wonder if Gibson had had Asimov's three laws in mind and said, okay, this is out the window, this is out the window, <laughs> this is out the window. Well, I mean, you got to think about it. The, the laws work in Asimov's case because they are hardwired into the brain of the robot. Right. It's not programming code. It's literally hardwired in there. When Asimov was humanitarian, he, he wanted to present an idea that we could work toward that would be better. But it, in this case, with Wintermute and Neuromancer, that's human programming code. Right. Where someone could have very easily made a mistake... Just like with Skynet, one it's going to learn where you're not where laws like that aren't going to constrain it because there is no hardware as far as Winter Mutant and right. There's no backup detonator. Exactly. Well, I mean, there was a there was a part of it that always interests me. It's like this was the great experiment. They said, you know, AI should never be able to do this. We don't want them to because let's make one that can. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let's make the let's make one that can. Oh well, somebody's going to detect if we do that. Will make its brother, and then somebody will eventually come along and combine these two into what they're supposed to be. <laughs> well, see, and it's a statement on humanity too, because as powerful as an AI is, presumably the human brain's capable of far more. And the the way the the humans are treated in this story, where they go mentally is all important. The flesh is just meat. Yeah. I mean, there there really is a subtext there that's far deeper than most people give it credit for. But everybody gets lost in the grime. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if they had introduced us to a couple more characters whose mental consciousness I would hope they'd save, I'd be far more happy. Because Linda, <laughs> I really don't see care that she actually survived in the Matrix. Yeah. yeah. Chase ended up with her, and I was like, okay, well, good. I'm glad your consciousness ended up happy there. But that was just a copy of it. The real one's still running around. Right. You know, Dixie... Yeah, I was kind of wondering where the hell he went to after all that. Because, you know, Dixie was a fun guy. Not yeah. a mushroom, just a fun guy. Right. Well, Wintermute said he gave him what he wanted. Yeah, but he never be said... deleted. Well, um, I don't know. The way that it sounded, it, it was... It sounded more ambiguous to me. Yeah. I mean, that's what Dixie had said he wanted. Because mm-hmm. when the run was over, he asked... Case, Chase, whatever his name was, to delete to delete him. And then, um, you know, Wintermute said he gave him, gave the, gave the, gave them what he wanted. So I'm assuming he deleted it. Or repurposed the code for something else. (laughs) 
probably wiped the personality and just went with a with a repurpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Might as well. Or just remove the personality and keep the memory part. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I've beaten this horse about as much as I'm going to. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> we've covered it pretty thoroughly. Uh, yeah. I think we've covered it. It's it's a great book. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it. And, yeah. I mean, it's, it's in the top 20 for a reason when it comes to sci-fi. It shows. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's you can definitely tell. So all right, um, I guess it's time for us to run the randomizer to pick our next book. Yay! So I will hit the buttons and you guys make the little song thing and we'll figure out what we're doing next. Wheel of morality, turn, turn, turn. Tell us the lesson that we should learn. Trip to Tahiti. Ready Player One. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love this book. Ernest Klein. Yep. All right, so that will be next month's book. Um, and I'm looking forward to this because I've heard all of you guys talk about how great it is. So I'm definitely. You're gonna... a kid of the 80s. Oh, I know. You I, will I'm love looking forward this book. to this one. <laughs> all right, so until next time, we will talk to y'all later. Bye, Bones. See ya. Played all of my favorite news and entertainment vid feeds. Among these was my own channel, Parzival TV. Broadcasting obscure, eclectic crap, 24-7-365. Earlier that year, GSS had added a new feature to every Oasis user's account, the POV, Personal Oasis VidFeed channel. It allowed anyone who paid a monthly fee to run their own streaming television network. Anyone logged into the simulation could tune in and watch your POV channel from anywhere in the world. What you aired on your channel and who you allowed to view it were entirely up to you. Most users chose to run a voyeur channel, which was like being the star of your own 24-hour reality show. Hovering virtual cameras would follow your avatar around the Oasis as you went about your day-to-day activities. You could limit access to your channel so that only your friends could watch, or you could charge viewers by the hour to access your POV. A lot of second-tier celebrities and pornographers did this, selling their virtual lives at a per-minute premium. Some people used their POV to broadcast live video of their real-world selves, or their dog, or their kids. Some people programmed nothing but old cartoons. The possibilities were endless, and the variety of stuff available seemed to grow more twisted every day. Non-stop foot fetish videos broadcast out of Eastern Europe. Amateur porn featuring deviant soccer moms in Minnesota. You name it, every flavor of weirdness the human psyche could cook up was being filmed and broadcast online. The vast wasteland of television programming had finally reached its zenith and the average person was no longer limited to 15 minutes of fame. Now everyone could be on TV, every second of every day, whether or not anyone was watching. Parzival TV wasn't a voyeur channel. In fact, I never showed my avatar's face on my vid feed. 
Instead, I programmed a selection of classic 80s TV shows, retro commercials, cartoons, music videos, and movies. Lots of movies. On the weekends, I showed old Japanese monster flicks, along with some vintage anime. Whatever struck my fancy. It didn't really matter what I programmed. My avatar was still one of the high five, so my vid feed drew millions of viewers every day, regardless of what I aired, and this allowed me to sell commercial time to my various sponsors. Most of Parzival TV's regular viewers were gunters who monitored my vid feed with the hope that I'd inadvertently reveal some key piece of information about the jade key or the egg itself. I never did, of course. At the moment, Parzival TV was wrapping up a nonstop two-day Kikater Marathon. Kikater was a late-70s Japanese action show about a red-and-blue android who beat the crap out of rubber-suited monsters in each episode. I had a weakness for vintage kaiju and tokusatsu, shows like Specter-Man, The Space Giants, and Supaida-Man. I pulled up my programming grid and made a few changes to my evening lineup. I cleared away the episodes of Riptide and Misfits of Science I'd programmed and dropped in a few back-to-back -back flicks starring Gamera, my favorite giant flying turtle. I thought they should be real crowd-pleasers. Then, to finish off the broadcast day, I added a few episodes of Silver Spoons. Artemis also ran her own vidfeed channel, Artemivision, and I always kept one of my monitors tuned to it. Right now, she was airing her usual Monday evening fair, an episode of Square Pegs. After that would be Electra Woman and Dina Girl, followed by back-to-back -back episodes of Isis and Wonder Woman. Her programming lineup hadn't changed in ages, but it didn't matter. She still got killer ratings. Recently, she'd also launched her own wildly successful clothing line for full-figured female avatars under the label Artemis. M-I-S-S. -S. She was doing really well for herself. After that night in the distracted globe, Artemis had cut off all contact with me. She blocked all of my emails. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please visit our home on the web at scififx.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at scififx. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash scififx. Like us on Facebook, it's an easy way to be kept up to date with all the latest sci-fi news, and you'll be entered to win a free prize. You can also stream our podcast using Stitcher Smart Radio on any mobile device with an internet connection running on iOS, Android, WebOS, or on BlackBerry smartphones. Follow the Fellowship of the Geeks on Twitter at Fellowship Geeks. Check out Geekdom Nation on the web at geekdomnation.com, and follow Geekdom Nation on Twitter at Geekdom Nation.